Uh, let me give you a little bit of background as far as what happened uh, last week. Um, a couple main themes that are introduced in chapter 3. If you look at the beginning of chapter 4, you see um, Paul is continuing a thought. And so I just want to take you back for a second to chapter 3 um, and some of the, the imagery that's happening in chapter 3 that we're going to really dive into this morning is this idea of, of sonship. If you're a female in the room, um, it includes you, I promise. I'll explain why we call it sonship here a little bit later. Um, but it's this idea of being children of God, being mainly sons of God, okay? Um, and that all that Christ is, is ours. All that he possesses, that's what it means to be an heir. That's what's introduced, okay? And what's really key to know is this. The law, uh, which we see in the Old Testament, mainly what we're talking about, the Old Testament law is a guide. It's a, it's a guardian. It's a, it's a tutor. It's, it's what's meant to put some reins on sin and wickedness. Okay, and, and, and that's, it's the same thing like a child needs some supervision, or they'll begin to think they have it all together, they'll begin to think they can do whatever they want, they'll begin to think that they rule the world, and some even with supervision and authority still do, right? Um, you and I are both familiar with the unbelievable statistics pertaining to orphans in our world. I just want to throw some at you real quick. Um, Check this out. This is uh, the latest that I could find. Uh, the most recent estimate is that there are approximately 145 million orphans in the world. An orphan is being that that's defined by a child that's lost one or both parents. Okay, and those numbers, they don't include abandonment, and they also don't include um, children that are sold or trafficked. Uh, in the United States alone, there are 500,000 children in foster care. Now, that's a couple years old, so um, it's, it's probably different than that, but um, it kind of gives you an idea. Um, approximately 51,000 children are adopted from the foster care system each year, leaving 79,000 children annually in the U.S. needing an adoptive family. Now, this is crazy because each year there's an estimate of 20,000 young people that age out of the system. And the statistics show that of those individuals, many of them who never receive adoption within months are in, in the middle of violence, are in jail, their world just falls apart. They become homeless. Now, that's not the entire truth about, about uh, orphans. Um, I was blown away by this book called Adopted for Life by Russell Moore. Um, and he, here's what he says the truth about orphans is. Check this out. The universe was meant to be a home where the image bearers of God rule and serve under their Father. It was all to be ours. The primeval insurrection in the garden, though, turned the universe into an orphanage. The heirs were gone, done in by their appetites. A serpent now holds the cosmos in captivity. 
driving along the deposed rulers as his slaves. The whole universe is an orphanage. Think about that. So we immediately can begin to identify with pictures we see on the news of orphans and the different diseases that come with that, and and our hearts break. But if you think about the truth of what the weight of the fall of man brings about, it's that we're all orphans. That the world is one big orphanage that, that where people are in desperate need to be adopted and rescued out of their situation. That's the truth. So we can throw up all these statistics that really grip our hearts, but the truth is, is that we're all in absolute dire need to be rescued. Even this morning. Now an orphan would simply be a person that lacks protection. They lack care. And, and, and a guardian would be someone who comes along and, and provides that care, provides that protection. Now let's go to the text. Chapter 4. Verse 1. Paul's going to give us a, a physical analogy of this idea of what adoption brings about, this idea of inheritance, okay? Follow along with me and then I'll explain. One and two. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Okay, so in the event that my wife and I would pass away, we would leave behind a three-year-old presently, and a not almost three-year-old, and a nine-month-old. Okay, they would take possession of our assets. However, they would need some guidance. Okay, if they just kind of, you know, took over the house and kind of took care of one another, um, it'd, be, it'd be a great movie, um, right? And so you'd either have at, be- at worst, at best, um, Tobin um, falling down the stairs or at worst being assisted down the stairs. Um, you would have a situation where potentially um, either my daughter would uh, be in trouble by an overdose of cheese and chocolate milk, Tobin would just have paper cuts all over his tongue, and um, Mikhail would probably end up, you know, taking uh, Danielle's hair straightener into the shower. Um, I mean, it would just be, it would just be brutal, okay? Uh, they would need some care. They would need some, some people to look after them. They wouldn't just be able to just start driving our cars, um, taking our stock, and, and buying and selling and trading um, until a certain point. So in a sense, they're it's almost like they're slaves. They're just, they're, they're employees as long as they're minors. Okay? Now, continue on. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul's going to transition here from this physical illustration of inheritance to the spiritual. So he's like, just like that's true in a physical sense. Here's what it looks like spiritually. And he says these words, when you were children, you were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So he's talking, and, and you could almost interpret it and look at it in two different ways. You could, you could look at it in, in the sense of, of an unbeliever. Um, you could also interpret it somewhat in the sense of an immature Christian. Okay, because this idea of being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, you know what that's connected to? 
demonic activity. Okay, if you're not living for the Lord, you know who you're living for? Satan. It's one, it's one of two. It's one or the other. And so what happens is, is you, you take, let's just go with an immature believer, just get to give one example, and uh, you take this idea of legalism, this idea of uh, rules, um, and what, what often happens, and this is exactly what Jesus nailed the Pharisees for, is there's a divorce between the heart and the mind. Okay, where the Pharisees, it was all, it was all this outward, like their minds are absolutely engaged to the point where it's, it's overboard, but it never penetrated their heart. The truth of Jesus never penetrated their heart. He, he pounded on them for that over and over and over and over again. Okay, and what happened was, is these simple instructions like what you should eat or shouldn't eat, what you should drink or shouldn't drink, how you should worship, they were, they were a means that didn't bring about inheritance, but they pointed to the promise of inheritance. Okay, stay with me. It's as if the law was waiting for Jesus to show up. Okay? Now, this idea of being children who are overcome by the ways of the enemy comes up in Ephesians 4 as well. It says this. Basically, God designed life and the church to bring about Ephesians 4.14, so that you, longer, you will no longer be children, same word, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's the enemy. That's the enemy owning your life. Okay? Whether it's as an unbeliever or whether it's you're not walking in who you are as a believer. It's the enemy feeding you lies, feeding you lies, feeding you lies. And you're, you're, you're believing that. Now, look at verse 4. But, I love that word in the Bible. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Okay, um, imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child and you're meeting with a social worker and you're finalizing uh, the last stages of the process uh, in, this, in this adoption phase, okay? You're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three, all right? Um, he's persisting in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin kittens alive. Will that bother you? You experience this? He acts out sexually, the, the social worker says, although she doesn't really explain what that means. And then she goes into some family history and says, well, um, this boy's father and great-grandfather and um, great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-grandfather, um, they all had um, a history of violence. Um, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder, uh, each of them ending their life the same way, committing suicide by hanging themselves 
with a rope of blankets in their prison cell. Now, your next statement probably isn't, where do I sign? Would, would you want that child? Would, would, you, would you think twice about the implications of that? Would you want to adopt that individual? Here, here's what you do. I guarantee you, you would keep your eye on that child anytime you played with your other kids. I guarantee you, anytime he was in the kitchen and there was a butcher knife laying on the counter, it would make you nervous. Would you leave the room if he was watching a movie and your daughter was in the same room and the lights were out? Would you? Here's the deal. He's you. And he's me. And the truth of the gospel is this. Is that our birth father has fangs. And he's incredibly crafty. And he's incredibly wicked. And left to ourselves, we will be as serpentine as he is. But the good news is we are called out of that. And we're rescued from that to the inheritance of Christ. So it's not just that the, the stay of, there's a stay of execution or it's not just that the, there's a suspension of doom or we've found a, a refuge or even a foster home. But no, we've become adopted. Children of God. Which brings on new identity. Now, did, did you notice what it said about born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law? Um, la- last I checked, I was born of a woman. I don't know about you. Uh, I think you were too. Uh, last I checked, I was born under the law. Okay, here, here's, what's, here's what it's saying. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus became one of us to redeem us. He came to us. He became one of us to adopt us. He, he came to our orphanage to rescue us from our own excrement. That's the truth of the gospel. Now, what does this mean? Verse 6. Let's talk about the result of sonship. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Here's the result of your adoption, if you are a Christian this morning, is that the same Spirit that lived inside Jesus while He was on this earth is in you. Do you realize that? I mean, think about that. The same guy who walked the earth was empowered by the Spirit. That same Spirit is within you and I. And we walk around in defeat. We walk around in, man, I don't know that we can walk out what God has called us to. He's in you. He's in me. Now, this word Abba occurs two other places in the New Testament. Romans 8 is one of them. 
It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but he called you out of it. You, you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now that's a term of intimacy, but it goes deeper than that. And we know that when we go to Mark chapter 14 and we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says this, Abba, Father. He's like, Papa, he's crying out to him. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So this immense word of intensity and intimacy is intensified when it comes to this scene of of here's Jesus crying out to his father to rescue him from crucifixion. To rescue him from, I mean, he's, he's sweating blood in this scene. In the midst of this scene. Hebrews 5 puts it like this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So this word Abba is a, is a term of identity. It's a term of rescue. Now, why sons? I literally had the title of my message, Sons and Daughters of the Living God. And late last night, I sent a text and said, scratch out daughters for me. Okay? Why? This is, this is crucial. It's not because God is sexist or the Bible is sexist. In fact, it's quite the contrary. Okay? Um, we need to understand the importance of this term. If Paul, and some translations will do this, they'll, they'll be politically correct, and they'll add, uh, you know, instead of sons, they'll say sons and daughters. And when people interpret this passage, they'll, they'll even say sons and daughters. But if Paul would use daughters in this term, it would, it would lose a little weight. Now let me explain why. Because inheritance came how? It came from the father to the firstborn son okay now uh, a daughter would receive her inheritance through her husband okay so here's what this is saying look look at look at back up at chapter 3 verse 27 for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ so there's neither jew nor greek nor slave, nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So here's what this means. As sons of God, we have absolute inheritance, absolute right to all that he is and all that he possesses. That's the weight of it. That's the weight of what it means to be an heir. That's the weight of what it means to be a son of the living God. Uh, Russell Moore in his book Adopted for Life said this, um, we're ashamed to think of ourselves as adopted because to do so would focus our minds on the gory truth that all of us in Christ once were lost, but now we're found. Once we're strangers and now we're children. Once we're slaves and now we're were heirs. See, we don't like to admit the fact that that 
12-year-old boy that's being adopted is you and I. You know why? Because we're really good at prettying up our own hearts, and we're really good at prettying up our own situation, and waiting, well, that's not as bad as this, and that's not as bad as this, and that's not, no. Like we're, we're wicked. Apart from the work of the gospel in our hearts, we're wicked, and we're laying in our own crap. And adoption means God's calling us out of that. He's calling us out of that. Now, there's a danger. There's a danger of identity relapse that Paul states in verse 8. Look at it with me. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. So it's talking about this curse. It's talking about living under the curse of the devil who owns us pre-Christ. Let me emphasize that. Pre-Christ, he owns us. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored in vain over you. So this new identity, there's a temptation to run from it. Uh, Russell Moore talks about how him and his wife, they adopted two Russian kids. And they went to um, this orphanage to adopt them. And they walk in, and these two kids who had been previously picked out for them, they were literally laying in their own excrement. The stench was awful. And he, he explains this in his book when he says that when they got home, it was very clear that they were legally, these boys were, were his. But here's the thing. They oftentimes would act as orphans, not as children. Okay, so they didn't understand the fact that flies on their face was a bad thing. Because that's, that's all they knew. They didn't, they didn't know that a strange man feeding them for um, their first scary gulps of solid food wasn't a torturer. They didn't know that. Why? Because for, because for so long they were orphans. That's what they knew. Okay, we have a tendency to run back to Christ. Okay, this is the maturing process. This is what Ephesians 4 is all about. So that you may no longer be those that are tossed to and fro. You may no longer be like back, 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 back. But it's like, no. Okay, we're coming to maturity in Christ. We're coming to more fully understand and live out. Here's who I am in the Lord. This is why I understanding your identity in Christ, if you don't understand your identity, you will be all over the map with your Christian walk. Now, even understanding it, I'm not saying you got it together. I'm not saying you're going to be okay. You are. But I think you get what I'm saying. Now, 
don't know about you, but here's what this immediately does in my mind. It takes me to Numbers 14. Are you familiar with this story? Moses has just led the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And here's what happens. Look at this exchange in Numbers 14. Then all the congregations raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? But it wasn't just a thought. And they, and they said to one another, who wants to lead the charge? Who wants to take us back to slavery? And then this is the same exact thing that Paul's saying when he says, how can you turn back again? When you come to grips with your inheritance, when you come to grips with your identity in the Lord, Paul's like, and I'm like this morning, how can you turn back? You can't. Or, or when you do, you will so quickly return. When you begin to grasp all that the Lord has for you, why do we do this? Russell Moore puts it this way. Here's why we run back. We don't believe that our, our new father will feed us. So we hang on to our scraps and long for the regimented schedules of the orphanages from which we've come. And when our Father pushes us along to new tastes, we pout that He's not good to us. But He's readying us for glory. Preparing us to take our place on thrones as heirs. Is he pushing you to new tastes? I feel like some of the ways of old, you're just kind of like, God's like, come away from that. Okay, come away from that. Okay, it's time to come away from that. It's time to new tastes. Come away. That's, this is maturing in Christ. Are, are you thinking, okay, God, you're, you're good. Or are you thinking, God, you don't love me. Why, why are you pulling me away from this? And you think he's not good to you? The truth of the matter is that he's so good to you. And he loves you so much. He loves me so much. Uh, So they're leaving the orphanage in Russia with their two kids. I believe they were a year. And they're walking out. And these kids had never seen sunlight. And, and, and they bring them out. And they're literally s- screaming. And he says that they were, they were literally reaching back for the orphanage. 
as if they wanted to go back. And he says that what he did in that moment was he whispered in his children's ears, telling them, I'm rescuing you. You don't want to go back. They didn't get that. They, They didn't get that. But he's like, I'm rescuing you. How often is that us? That we're like, God's like, no. And you think about all that that meant, all that that orphanage meant. And they wanted to go back. Think about all that Egypt meant. And they, they wanted to hire a leader, take us back. God's like, no, you, you don't get it. I want to close with Romans 8. One of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 14. And I hope that what we've done this morning might bring some new light to Romans 8. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus Christ is your elder brother is what it's saying. And that we're going to sit on the throne with Him and we're going to reign with Him and all that God is and all that God has and all that God means is ours in Christ. Provided that we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. Some of you are like, well, adopted? I don't feel adopted. My life isn't that great. Here's the answer. For I consider that this suffering, suffering at this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what that's saying is that not only is he coming for us, but he's coming to redeem all of creation. 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You've you've been groaning? Yeah, I have too. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So do, do, you see the, do you see the tension? Do you see the already, but not yet? We're absolutely adopted. We're absolutely His. We're absolutely His. There's going to come a day when He's going to completely redeem us to Himself and take us out completely of our own struggle but in the meantime he's maturing us 
In the meantime, he's raising us to be mature children of his. If you're a parent, you get that. If you hang out with kids at all and you play any parental role in their life, you get that responsibility. As much as you hate it, I hope it illustrates the Lord's work in your own life. Adopted sons of God. Let's pray. Father, I rejoice in your work on our behalf. I rejoice in all that you have done to rescue me from myself, from the pit of despair, to rescue me from what I thought was best for me. And God, you continue to do that. God, we continually turn to ourselves. We continually turn back. We continually grasp back as if to run back to slavery. And you continually whisper in our ear, that's not your identity. It's not who you are. God, would you whisper in our ear this morning, we are yours. And might we never be the same in Christ's name.